My brothers, my sisters, my blood, welcome to the very first and maybe only Chaos Effect. Coming to you from the deepest, darkest, smallest dungeon in the Dragon's Lair itself, because, well, we don't want to wake that dragon now, do we? How the hell are you? I'm glad you've joined me for this. Normally, I would have some type of news I would want to do or mess around or start the conversation or do whatever because I'm coming at you without a script here so this could be good or could be not good but I wanted to do a podcast of some kind you know because that seems to be the big thing right now just to be able to come at you as myself and well you know we all know how good I am at putting together live shows if I don't have the vault keeper with me it's probably not going to happen on my own channel so I just wanted to give you a little bit of insight on what this chaos effect is. It is essentially a podcast, recorded discussions, interviews, something along that type of line. I wanted to do it kind of like a radio show because I am influenced by the people that I listen to and the shows that I really enjoy. So I kind of wanted to put together a little mishmash of my own type of thing. I had this idea for a podcast and it's been floating around up in my head for a little while. Probably a couple of months ago, a really good friend of mine came to me and said, hey, why don't you do a podcast? You know, we could do this thing together and it might be fun. So I brought it up to another friend of mine and I took really good ideas from the both of them and they really helped me with the creation of this. Went through a couple of different names and kind of finally settled on the chaos effect and well, I think it worked out pretty well. One of those friends is with me tonight. He is Wild Tempest and that's the name that he goes by. As far as, you know, something like this is concerned, I guess you could say his screen name, just like I go by Chaos. He and I have been friends since the second grade. Our big thing was always the paranormal. It's one of the reasons why I started this channel in the first place, along with a good push from Lady Chaos. I listened to paranormal stories, both true and fictional, and I, I just really enjoyed them. And well, eventually here we are, you know, doing this type of thing. So I brought him on tonight. I think mostly because of the fact that he's got some great stories. Um, him and I have had experiences apart, and we've only really shared one experience, which we'll get into later. I thought for a first episode, it would be a really good idea to bring him on, introduce him to you guys, and let him tell his stories in his own words. Now, a lot of you who have been with me for a while and listened to my videos will recognize these stories. Most of them that we're going to listen to, with the exception of... One of them, you know, were on older videos, and let's face it, folks, <laughs> I wasn't very good at doing the whole narration and storytelling thing back then. I really didn't know what I was doing. Not really that I know much more now than I did, I'm just a little better at it. 
So the topic tonight is Ouija boards. He's got a couple of great Ouija board stories. And since this being, you know, Halloween, pretty much being right on top of us, I figured it's a great way to start for a first episode. Tis the season and all that jazz. A few of the things that I've always pondered is what is the paranormal? I mean, isn't it a question that you kind of have to ask a little bit here and there? What are ghosts and poltergeists? You know, are they remnants of the human spirit? Are they lost souls trapped in our world, not able to move on? Are they reenactments or photographs from another time that reenact themselves onto our reality? You know, there are a lot of haunted places in the world. From my own experiences, I think it might be a little of everything. For example, I've heard a lot of stories from the battlefield at Gettysburg. Um, I've seen video that people have put up on something like this, and you see these white spectral figures weaving in and out of the trees, you know, you hear about people talking about how they smell gunpowder and they hear screams and they hear war going on, or they've seen apparitions marching across the battlefield. Could this be impressions of a time that was so tragic and so powerful that it literally imprinted itself onto our time, kind of almost like a double negative photograph? You know, then you've got places like the Trans-Allegheny Insane Asylum, you know, and I'm, I'm just kind of picking this one out because it's one of the more famous ones, but there are literally hundreds of these places all around the world and this country itself where you've got spirits that live and they breathe. And if you go into places like this, not only could you hear them, but you could be attacked by them. There's a certain cemetery right in the middle of London. And I remember seeing this on a History Channel episode where you have to sign an insurance waiver before you go into this place because there are a lot of people who have gotten hurt, knocked down, scratched, beaten, abused, the whole nine yards in this place. Not to mention that's a place that I would love, love to visit just because it's, it's almost kind of like proof, isn't it? We talk about Bigfoot and aliens and ghosts and these strange phenomena like magic and precognition and time travel and all these weird things that are going on around in our world right now. Where does everything fit together? I know it's like a puzzle piece, but where does it fit together? Will we ever know? Probably not. I'm very sure that I'll never know in my lifetime. I've had my experiences. It just fascinates me to the point where it's like, you know, what is this other side of the world? It's really easy for us to ignore. I think this is where the chaos effect comes from. I think this is my idea for this is to discuss these type of things because I have to tell you, it's a disclaimer. I'm a storyteller. You don't really get to hear me talk like this, um, you know, unless you've been on the Vault of Nightmares and you listen to Vault and I and whatnot, and of course that's Vault's show. And I really, you have to watch what you say. And you know, we have a good time and we talk about a lot of cool things, but now we're in the Dragon's Lair. And now I can kind of let loose. I'm a speculative kind of guy. Yes, I, I totally understand that it's important if you take all of the pieces of the puzzle, including the things that could debunk what you're talking about. It's good to put that all out on the table. So it paints a clearer picture. Well, can you debunk the debunking stuff? Can you prove that the skeptics are wrong? Can you prove that this is true or it's not true? Is it a hoax? All of these questions. If you know me personally, and there are very few of you out there that do, and there's a couple that are listening or a few that are listening that do know me personally, I'm a speculative kind of guy. I'm no expert. I am literally an expert on nothing. I ask a lot of questions. I come to my own conclusions. 
I've been told that I am completely full of it. Bullshit. And I've also been told that I'm kind of on to something. I really don't know what to believe, but for me personally, it's extremely exciting. It's very fascinating. I love to listen. I love to read. I love to watch. From there, I paint my own picture about things. And I think we're, as much as we all like to think that we're experts in some way, shape, or form, we're probably not. And we have our own opinions and our own thoughts about it. And if we can sit down and talk and argue and fight and go to bed happy and wake up the next day and do it all over again, if that's how we got to figure it out, then that's how we got to figure it out. To get this show on the road, right after the break, I'm going to be bringing on a good friend of mine, Tempest. We are going to get into some of his Ouija board experiences. And we're going to talk about a little experience that he and I had together when we were in junior high school. We're also going to talk about another experience that he had that is quite curious, and I think that you'll agree with me on that. So thank you, my brothers, my sisters, my blood, every single member of you wonderful people that I call the Chaos Army. Thank you for joining me. I really hope that you enjoy the show. It's going to get better as it goes on because, well, if you don't like it, I'm not going to keep doing it. But if just one of you only half likes it, I'm going to make a hundred more. And there we go. When we come back, we will have our special guest on. Oh, one more thing. I want to warn you. I've been going over the audio of the interview, or the discussion that I should say. The audio of the discussion. You have to understand how this went down. He and I, in his basement, I had the microphone right in front of us. The audio for us is good. You can hear us, no problem. Got that right. But you're going to hear some bangs, and you're going to hear some voices. Now, no. They are not ghosts. They are our children. We had our two oldest boys and his youngest boy there that day. And even though the door was closed and they were up there having fun playing video games, you can still hear them. So I just want to warn you for that. But it shouldn't, and I'm very confident when I say it, it should not get in the way of your enjoyment of a fantastic discussion that we had. And I'm really happy that I can share this with you and bring it to you. You are listening to The Chaos Effect, only on Chaos Theory Productions, coming from the deepest, darkest dungeon in the Dragon's Lair. And we will be right back. Do not go anywhere. Hi, I'm Epic Henry. Hi, I'm Shotgun Papa. And you're listening to the Chaos Chaos Effect Effect with with our dad. dad. Hey everybody, this is Chaos, Chaos Theory Productions. I may not be your favorite narrator, but I'm your wife's favorite narrator. Ooh, how you doing? Chaos Theory Productions. All right, everybody, and welcome back to The Chaos Effect. I have here a very good friend of mine. We've known each other since, what, like the third grade? Something right around there, yeah. This is the guy that helped come up with this idea. I mean, it bounced around in my head for a little bit. He kind of came up to me and said, hey, why don't we do this? And I'm like, well, you know, you got a really good idea with that. We're going to talk paranormal. Let me introduce, you know, my buddy. Known him forever since we were just little kids. This is Wild Tempest. Good evening, everyone. Pleasure to be here. <laughs> and I'm glad you're here. So, you know, you've had paranormal experiences. I've had paranormal experiences. We've made bad decisions with Ouija boards, <laughs> you know, and we're going to talk about some of that because a lot of people don't know. I mean, from my, I think it was my ver- my second video um, was pretty much all, you know, the first, th- I think it was three stories that were on there 
were from you. Absolutely. And you know, they were fantastic stories, you know what I mean? As a matter of fact, uh, I think one that people might have heard, which, a, which was the Three Tales, uh, Three True Ouija Board Tales, um, actually had your experience, one of your experiences on there, which was absolutely epic. I still get people telling me about that today, be like, well, that's, that was a really good one, man. You know what I mean? It's like, well, truth is stranger than fiction, and truth is a lot scarier than fiction. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so I think maybe the best way to jump into it is that we actually shared a paranormal experience, which is weird for as long as we've known each other, we've never actually really had one together. Yeah, we've never actually gone out ghost hunting together and exploring someplace that we knew was paranormal together, which was unusual. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, the kids amount of time and, that we spent together. Yeah, well, you went to the Marines, you know what I mean? You yeah. did some time down there, which is where these stories come from, and they still blow my mind even now, and I, I figure the best bet is we could talk about them, because maybe a lot of people haven't heard them. I didn't do a very good job of writing and recording at that time, because I literally didn't know what the heck I was doing. Still don't now, I just got a better handle on it. <laughs> so, way back when, I think we were in seventh grade, it was Ms. Bonzi and Ms. Nichols' class, we went on a class trip to Washington, D.C. And it's funny because it didn't really register with me until I'd actually seen the haunted history episode from the History Channel that had Ford's Theater. And I was like, whoa, it was kind of like a slap in the head. We had an experience there. Well, I know I had an experience there. I think you may have too, but you were like literally right next to me. Um, so I'll get into it. And, you know, kind of we'll restoke that. So I, I remember that, you know, that particular day, because I think we were there for a few days and nights. Like three days or yep. four days and three nights or something like yeah, that. It was a good trip. I remember that trip. Oh, it was awesome. We had a lot of fun. And uh, so we went to Ford's Theater. And it's literally, it was one of the coolest places I'd ever seen. I'd never seen a theater like that before. You know, we're, we're in kind of like the back hallway where like the, man, my terminology is terrible. Where like the actual like balcony boxes are like. The box seats, yeah. Exactly, yes. And we were actually looking at the one that Abraham Lincoln was shot. Um, where they had in, you know, if you've never been there before, you know, it's, you they know, had it roped off. Yeah. Yeah. And they had, I think they had a piece of plastic up over there too. It was roped off. They had the plastic. It was like, yeah, you know, they were, on, they wanted to preserve it. Yeah. Absolutely. And the, the only thing they needed was the armed guards. You know what I mean? <laughs> so I remember that, um, we walked a little bit back down the hallway and which was only maybe, I don't know, 20 feet, 10, 15, 20 feet. And it was a whole line of us. And I remember you were right behind me and I remember turning around to say something to you. And we were kind of like at the end of the line type of thing because we were just, you know, back dwellers on as far as that goes. In my peripheral vision, I saw a man standing down the hallway and he was a black man. He was wearing um, like a white shirt and like white pants or and they seemed like they were a little too big for him. Um, I didn't really think much of it. Maybe he was a security guard or it was somebody who worked there. They had a certain style of dress. I don't know what I was thinking in my seventh grade mind at that point. But when I focused and I turned to look at you, he wasn't there. But I saw him in my peripherals. It kind of made me a little weird for a little bit. Well, we walked just a few feet down and we walked into a door, which took us almost kind of like into the back kitchens and back areas where, you know, people would be, you know what I mean? I, I guess kind of like the inner workings of the, of the, um, of the theater itself, yeah. Yes, thank you. And I got pushed, like, literally, like, someone took a hand and pushed me, like, almost knocked me over. And I turned around and be like, what the hell, man? What are you doing? You're like, I didn't do anything to you. You know what I mean? And that kind of, that kind of set the stage for this, like, weird, eerie feeling. Well, Washington, D.C. was, uh, it was an unusual place to begin with. It's steeped in history. There's history and ghosts all over D.C. 
At the time, I was still kind of honing my skills with ghost hunting, kind of, and feeling it out. But I remember almost the entire time that we were down there, it just had a very, that creepy feeling to it. That feeling that you're being watched, that butterfly effect, sort of, in your in your gut. And that's one of the re- one of the ways that I've come to realize that I'm in an area that is haunted. I actually refined that to a, to a degree throughout my throughout my life, to where I could actually drive down a road that I'd never been down, past houses I've never seen before, and I could accurately point out exactly which ones were haunted and which ones weren't, which ones had activity and which ones weren't. Now most people would call BS on that, but and I actually had a buddy of mine that did call BS on it one day. He says, yeah, that, that, I don't believe you. He was a roommate of mine in the Marine Corps, and uh, we went ghost chasing a lot together. And we were going down this road that we'd never been down before, and I was pointing out houses left and right. And he says, yeah, that's, that's, that's complete and total BS. I said, pull over. So we pulled over right outside a house that I just pointed at and saying, that one's haunted. I said, let's go. We hopped out of the car, went up to the door, knocked on the door. Now, this is down in South Carolina, Georgia area. You know, people are a lot more open about hauntings and things like that down there. When the homeowner actually came to the door, it was rather awkward at first. But I explained to him that we had a little bit of a bet going. I could accurately tell where, when some place was haunted and when it wasn't. I asked him, point blank, I said, is your house haunted? And the homeowner said, yes. He's absolutely right. You owe him some money. <laughs> <laughs> talking to my friend, uh, talking to my roommate, and uh, you know, we—he was my roommate was absolutely dumbfounded that I could actually go down and accurately point out different houses. It's it's a tough skill to acquire, I'll tell you that. But I remember that feeling all the way throughout, just about everywhere in Washington D.C., from the Capitol Building to the Vietnam War Memorial. To Ford's Theater. Yeah, and you know what the funny thing was? I remember after we left Ford's Theater, we walked across the street to the, like, little apartment. It was a building, as I remember. It was a long time ago. But there was an apartment in there where they actually took Lincoln and set him down in his, like, kind of last throes of life. He, He actually passed away in that room. And they took us through there as a tour. Now, I remember it that they actually had the pillow and it wasn't cleaned. I mean, it, it it's not like it was this, something out of a horror movie. You could definitely tell he had literally bled out on this pillow. It was, the whole pillow had that like, you know, old blood stained look to it, that rust colored look to it. Um, but it was in a plastic case, clear plastic case. And it, I just, I remember there, and it, the air was heavy and it was thick and it almost felt like there was a presence there. And I'm not saying that because a lot of us were in there because they were kind of filing us through. There was a few, quite a few of us in there, but not to the point where, you know, it was like too many people in there, a little room, too much heat. You know what I mean? It was like, no, mm-hmm. man, it, there, there was something else in there. That kind of, for <laughs> me, was like the first you know, real thing outside of what I had experienced at my grandparents' house. You know what I mean? So the air was definitely very thick in there. I do remember that. It, is, it was very thick. You had that constant feeling that somebody else was there, somebody that you couldn't see, that, that feeling that somebody was watching you, and yet every time you looked over your shoulder, there was nobody there. Yeah. So you, uh, in, in moving on, and this is what I love about this, because a lot of people have heard my stuff. You know what I mean? I've put my stories out there and rock and roll, you know, because might as well. I mean, if, <laughs> if I don't have anything else to do, I think it's cool. And I'm like, hey, you know, why not this story? Well, I did three of your stories on like my second video. 
But I don't know how many people have actually watched them and, and all that stuff. So I figure it would be really cool if we got together and we could discuss those because I can tell them, but they come, it comes out way better coming from you because you mm-hmm. were there and you remember it. You know what I mean? Better than I could in relating it. Um, so what do you think? I mean, we did Colebrook Plantation. We also did the, uh, like the Voodoo Cemetery, I guess. And, um, we also did the Travelers, which was that little experience after, one, yeah. after, and you I know. I believe we actually also covered, uh, the Ouija board story with my friend Dave. Yes. Um, as a matter of fact, yes, that was on the first video, but we did. So I'll give you, I'll, where do you want to start? You know what I mean? Do you want to start the one with Dave or, and then kind of work into the other ones? I mean, I figure, you know, hey. Well, let's, let's just kind of roll with it for a moment here uh, and uh, give you, uh, to give your listeners a little bit of background on me. I've always been a unique individual. You know this. You've known me since I was young. I developed a strange fascination with the paranormal time I was probably around six years old to the point where as soon as I could understand what books said, what was written in them, I started devouring every piece of information that I could get on the paranormal. Everything from ghosts and witches to war- to vampires and monsters to the strange and unusual with Atlantis and you name it. I, I've, I've done some research on it at least. So on top of that, all the years I've gone ghost chasing, research into religions. I've got a very thorough background on this stuff. To this day, there's still experiences that I just cannot explain. The one that probably brings the most emotion, especially nowadays, would be the the very first Ouija board experience I had with my buddy Dave. Dave and I, I think we were in junior high at the time during the summer. He invited me over to sleep at his house, which he lived not all that far from me at the time. He had a loft above his garage. That was where he had his Nintendo set up. That's where we kind of hung out. We played uh, a lot of a lot of Dungeons and Dragons there, and you know, it was just kind of a nice, quiet hangout that all of us neighborhood kids would just kind of go and chill out at. Well, Dave invited me over to sleep uh, sleep there for the night, so I went over. We had a great time playing Nintendo all day long. Well, around nine or ten o'clock at night, his stepfather came out and said it was time for bed. Neither of us wanted to go to bed, so his stepfather decided to <laughs> fix that problem by killing the power to the garage. <laughs> <laughs> so, of course, we were in pitch black. It was a, it happened to be a full moon that night. Uh, nice. It was coming up on the end of summer, so it was getting cooler. Uh, fog was starting to roll in here and there. The leaves were starting to change color. But I remember we were sitting around we were bored. But I had brought the Ouija board. The Ouija board... Again, for your listener, a little bit of background for your listeners was given to me by my grandmother before she passed. Seeing that we had an interest, and me and my brothers had an interest in it, so she gave us her personal Ouija board that she used while she was growing up. We got using it that night by moonlight. The loft itself was quite long. It was it went the entire length of the garage, but it wasn't very wide. It wasn't very tall. They've had two couches set up on one end of the loft. One couch ran the length and the other couch ran the width. The one that was on the width was right underneath the only window in the loft. That was the one that we were sitting up on. We had the Ouija board set set on top of the window sill and the couch itself kind of balanced there. And we were, we were using the light of the moon to be able to use the Ouija board. See, that that's that's 
ultra creepy right there. I mean, that's like, you know, that, you know, <laughs> other than like putting it in the middle of the floor and setting up with candles type of thing, that's just like natural type of thing. And, and I mean, with a Ouija board, you know, whether you, what you believe, what you don't believe, I'm going to imagine some people who are going to listen to this have had Ouija board experiences and, you know, it, it's always better to use a psychic circle instead of a Ouija board, but in all honesty, they're all just kind of... Ouija boards are tools. Ouija boards are tools. They can be very dangerous. They're no different from a, uh, from a power saw, in my opinion. If you don't follow the safety rules, if you don't follow the rules of using a Ouija board, you're going to get yourself into trouble. And you don't want to start messing with things that you don't fully comprehend and don't fully understand how to control them. Well, at this point in my youth, I didn't really fully understand it. <laughs> mm-hmm. We got contacting yeah. uh, a spirit that we had contacted many times before. Uh, it called itself, if I remember right, I believe it called itself Odysseus. And, of course, that rang true to me from all the studying that I had done with Greek mythology and things like that. Although, it, according to the spirit, it didn't date back that far. We got fooling around with it, asking the normal questions, um, asking stupid questions like uh, if it could tell us when we would die and things like that. Eventually, we got bored. This is probably about after an hour of playing around and asking stupid questions here and there, we started to get bored. And we asked the spirit if it could prove to us that it was there. It said yes, but it also spelled out the word later. Now... To jump in here real quick, um, I remember when you had told me the story before, you know, uh, I believe it was Dave at first was up more by the window, or I don't know if you guys were on the same that level. That was after. Okay, so that was after him looking out and seeing something. This uh, this part happened before. Of course, a Ouija board telling you that it's going to prove to you that the spirit is actually there with you kind of freaks you out a little bit, kind of gets your mind racing. What if this is just a game. What if this is real? I remember we were sitting there trying to think of something else to ask, and Dave kind of looked up out the window, and he was staring out at the yard across, at the field across the road, and he was trying to think, and I was looking at the Ouija board, waiting for any kind of a response or any kind of follow-up from the spirit itself, when Dave just kind of shot back and said, oh my god, what the hell was that? Now, Dave was a bit of a prankster. Mm. I remember Dave. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, know, I know how he was. Yeah, he was a good dude. He, he but was he a would. bit of a prankster. So, of course, immediately I'm thinking, yeah, right, he's just trying to scare me. And I asked him what he, what he was talking about. He said, I could have sworn I just saw somebody peek their head out from that tree across the road, lean out, look up here, and then dart back behind the tree. And I looked out the window, and, of course... There was a little bit of fog, a lot of moonlight. I could see the tree just fine, but I couldn't see anything so much as even a shadow around. The instant I turned and looked back at Dave, he said, there it goes again. He said, it just moved from that tree to that tree. I looked back out, and again, I couldn't see anything, but I started to get that ever-present feeling that I was being watched. Well, you know, plus also at the same time, you could tell, I mean, Dave may have been a prankster, but you can also tell by looking at him in the tone of his voice that he wasn't messing around. Correct. You know, and, Correct. and just, just as a, dis- you know, to give everybody just a little, a quick background, I know the area in which, you know, Tempest is talking about, and you have to understand this took place, you know, when we were in high school, freshman junior year. High. Oh, junior high. Okay. It was even further than that. So we're looking, you know, 
a long time. It's been 20 years since we graduated high school. So you're looking closer to like maybe 30, 35 years ago. Where we live now was not nearly as developed then as it was now. So Dave pretty much lived out in the sticks as far as that goes. You know, just to kind of give you an idea and whatnot. His house still sits right on the border of the forest, uh, heading out towards the power lines, matter of fact. Wow. Man. Uh, his house is still there today. But uh, I could tell that Dave wasn't really screwing around. So we got the idea to ask the uh, ask the spirit that we were communicating with at the time if that was the proof that we had asked for. The board responded with no. So, of Whoa. course, we asked, Can, do you know what that was? The board responded yes. We asked what it was. It spelled out the word demon. That's never, ever nice to see. In the midst of the questions that we were asking... We managed to narrow down that there was that the board was telling us that there was a demon that was coming for us, and that the spirit was trying to protect us and keep the demon at bay. Things started to get quiet. The board stopped responding so much. We did ask the spirit if it would continue to protect us. It did. It did respond yes, and then it fell silent. It would no longer respond to us in any way, shape, or form. The marker just totally stopped moving. It felt, the atmosphere felt different. After a few minutes of trying, we got bored. Decided, okay, well, now it's time to put this up and go to bed. Now, Dave knew the rules. I knew the rules. Never leave the marker on the board. But you left the marker on the board, though. I did not. Oh, Dave. <laughs> I went to lay down on the couch that was, that went lengthwise. Dave was going to sleep on the couch that was right in front of the window. That went widthwise on the loft. Where he was there... I went over, I laid down, Dave went to put the Ouija board away. Well, I could. I wa- sat there and watched his every movement, silhouetted against the moonlight. He picked up the Ouija board, exactly as it was, with the marker on it. I didn't realize it at the time. And he set it down into the windowsill, because there was probably about two, three-inch gap in between the top of the couch and the, win- and the bottom of the windowsill. So he set it down in, between the, in the window itself. And then he turned put his right hand on top of the couch, put his left hand on the bottom of the couch, and went to slide so he could lay down. I watched his every movement. As his right hand came up off that couch, it was empty. As soon as his head and his hand cleared the top of that couch, we audibly heard something fly across the room Now, and slam into the door. Now, the distance we're talking about is about 30 feet. We know it slammed into the door. We heard it. It was loud. And then, of course, something clattered to the floor. At this point, I looked at Dave and I said, Dave, what the hell did you just throw? He looked at me and asked the same question. Basically, we both looked at each other and said, what the hell was that? Yeah, that's a major puckering moment right there, I would say. And uh, neither of us threw anything. Dave kept telling me, get up and go check. I kept telling him, no, you get up and go check. (laughs) (laughs) Being that there was no lights, we didn't have any flashlights. We didn't have any candles. We didn't have any access to any other light other than the moonlight. And we couldn't see the other end of the, uh, of the room. Neither of us were get, willing to get up and go check. So we both laid down, sat there talking about it for a little while, and we both fell asleep approximately about the same time. When we woke up the next day, I opened my eyes, I looked over, I watched Dave open his eyes. Neither of us had been up. Immediately, once the sun was up, we got up and started looking around the room to find out what the hell flew across that room. 
Now, if something flies 30 feet across the room, slams into a door, where would you expect it to end up? Well, I would think that considering you heard it hit the floor, um, it's going to be somewhere around maybe within a few 10 feet or 5 or 10 feet or so of, you know, the place where it hit the door. And you would think something would be there on the ground. Exactly where we started looking. Problem is, there was nothing there. This loft was virtually empty except for the two couches and a television and the Nintendo. There was nothing there. So we kept looking around. Eventually, I made it over to the Ouija board because it was almost time for me to go and I needed to pack it up. So I went over to the Ouija board and I looked at Dave and I said, "Where's Hey, Dave, where's the marker? And Dave says, I don't know. I left it right there on top of the board. Well, of course, I gave him an immediate ass-chewing for leaving it on the board. But we started tearing that place apart looking for this marker. Eventually, we found it. It was actually in between the two couches, where the two couches came together, the two arms came together. There was about a two-foot-by-two-foot square in between that and the wall in the corner of the room, the loft. In the middle of that was the marker. Now, I'm no scientist, but I've thrown a lot of things in my life. Uh, varying different degrees and weights and i know that if one of those and you know we're talking about like a parker brothers one you know which is the little plastic you know little plastic planchette that's not going to fly it would be hard enough to throw that yourself with a full throw 30 feet all right because those things you know it's it's light and it's not going to go very far it's going to fall but for that to fly 30 foot across the room hit a door and then bounce back and land in that one spot about 30 feet away that's that's a that's like that's unreasonable you know what i mean it's like you know you heard it hit the floor and you didn't hear it hit the floor right next to you correct correct that kind of freaked us out because that's exactly what we determined happened is basically that marker flew 30 feet across the room slammed into that door with a lot of force almost enough force to dent the door yeah, like you would you would expect somebody on the other side of on the other side of the door to slap it like you like it would have been it. a stepdad it kick been it or kick. slap it just to get you guys to you yeah. know, hey, quiet down, I can still hear you type of thing. And then that thing flew thirty feet back across the room to land perfectly in the middle of that square, right in between my head and Dave's head. That's insane. That is wow. It was a long time after that that we used the Ouija board again. It took us a long time. Now, Dave and I both went our separate ways, as you know. Yep. After high school, Dave and I went our separate ways. I went into the Marine Corps. But every time I saw Dave after that, that subject always ended up coming up. And I always asked him, come on, man, tell me. You were screwing with me that night, weren't you? And as much as Dave was a prankster, he would always eventually come down to it because he wanted the last laugh. He wanted that. He wanted that to make you look foolish. Dave vehemently denied it every single time. Now, the last time I saw Dave was at my brother's wedding. And again, the conversation came up, and I asked him again. And he swore to me that he was not screwing around that night, that he did not throw anything. That was the last time I saw Dave. Less than six months later, Dave was found dead Mm. by his girlfriend at the time. Um, They still, to this day, don't have a reason for why he died. Right, so it, it wasn't like nobody killed him, he didn't kill no, himself. it wasn't a violent it, death. It wasn't it an just... overdose of any kind, because as far as I know, Dave was never, he never did anything like that, so. He, he had his history of it, but right. wasn't anything like that. He had no drugs in his system. He did have some alcohol, but nothing that would have killed him. 
Now, this wasn't in the same house, was it? No. Oh, okay. No. So, now, a- as a question, did he ever, like, when you, when, whenever the conversation was brought up, um, did he ever say that there was any, like, residual, I said that wrong, any residual after effects? Like, um, you know, maybe, like, he knew something, you know, opening up a door and it didn't go back, like something was actually in the loft or in the house or around the property or something like that. After that experience, the loft was never the same for us. It had a totally different atmosphere. I think that was the last time that we actually hung out up in the loft. None of us felt comfortable up there anymore. And for you, that statement is kind of big because of the fact that I know what you've dealt with and what you can deal with. So, I mean, granted, yes, young at the time, but still, if it's too much for you, and me knowing you as well as I do, then you just, you know, it's something up there. I, I've had, a, like I said, I've had a lot of experiences throughout my life. And that one always stuck out to me. Because I've never experienced something with another person to that degree. I thought it was fake at the time, but they took it to their grave. Now that says a lot. Dave swore to me until he died that he was not screwing with me on that experience. Yeah, so you know he was definitely telling the truth on that one. Definitely. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that kind of jump-started a lot of different things for me. I mean, I, I went from there to joining the Marine Corps and meeting all kinds of people and having all kinds of different experiences with many other people. Well, hey, you know what? Before we get into that, let's take a little break and we'll come back. And you're going to love these stories because I've heard them before. But it's one of those deals that's, it's, you just want to keep hearing them because they're just so fascinating. But Tempest and I will be right back. Oh, I like my chili hot. As a matter of fact, I like my chili so gosh darn hot, you could cook a pork butt in a spoonful. When a working man such as myself needs a little hot fixin', I go for that bottle of Vault's Intestinal Express Chili. Smooth, tender chunks of beef, dripping in a thick, savory sauce, with big, bustin' red kidney beans, noodle nuggets, and Texas Tough Onions, filled with Vault's very own hot bastard bacon bits. Mm-mm, hot. Gosh darn hot. Ask for it by name. Hey everybody, if you liked what you heard, give me a like, give me a share. If you're not already a member of the Chaos Army, then please, what are you waiting for? Hit that subscribe button and give that notification bell just a little tickle. And don't forget to check me out on Facebook and Twitter as well, my email. All of that will be right in the description. You are more than welcome to come on over, give me a shout, say hello, tell me your thoughts, If you've got a story, whether it be true or fictional, tell me about it. I'd love to turn that into a video. Or if you just want to talk, that's totally fine too. I'm a really good listener. But I just want to say thank you for coming on over to the channel, kicking off your shoes, and hanging out in the Dragon's Lair for a little while. I'm always happy to have you. Until next time. (laughs) 
And we are back. Thank you for hanging with us. We hope you're all still here. In keeping with the theme of Ouija boards, which we left off with that, you actually have a very interesting and different experience that you had, you know, while actually in the Marine Corps. That's correct, yes. Uh, At the time, I was stationed down in Pensacola, Florida, at uh, Naval Air Station Pensacola, home of the Blue Angels. Always fun to listen to them buzz the building while you're trying to learn things. Yeah, or trying to sleep, (laughs) one or the other, you know. But, uh, yeah, I had a roommate down there who was into the paranormal as well, but he hadn't made it as far as I had. I got talking with him about my Ouija board experiences growing up. And he would always been interested in getting a Ouija board and playing around with one, but he didn't know enough about it. He didn't even know the safety rules at the time. So we went out, and we picked up a Ouija board, brought it back to the barracks. Opened it up, started trying, uh, trying to use it. Got no responses. One thing I found with Ouija boards is that in, when you first get them brand new, most of the time you don't get any responses. Now, personally, I believe that's because it needs the energy to open the portal in the first place. It needs the energy to draw and entice the spirits to come and talk with you. So I gave the idea that we needed to leave the marker on the board for a couple hours to kind of charge the board up a little, pay it some attention, leave the leave the door open for a little while, kind of draw the energy into it. That's what we did. Went about back to life, and he put the Ouija board away, and I didn't think anything of it until two weeks later. Mm. Oh, that's rough. Yeah, that'll, that'll definitely draw in enough energy. Two weeks later, after a rough day of training, I walked into the barracks room. I was alone. Lit up a couple of candles, kicked on some Iron Maiden, had a black light and a strobe light in the room. Kicked on the black light, kicked on the strobe light. Had the strobe light going uh, fairly fast so I could actually see what I was doing at the time. It was very warm out, no breeze whatsoever down there. Despite being on the ocean, it was just there was no breeze in the air. Had the window open. It was hot. It was stuffy. Wasn't even thinking about anything paranormal happening. I happened to sit down on my rack, just chilling out to the music. For some reason, my attention got drawn up to the strobe light. The strobe light visibly started slowing down on its own. I became fascinated with it just staring at this light as it started flashing. It was flashing really fast at the beginning, you know, just pop, 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 pop. And the last pop kind of blinded me for a second. Came away and standing in front of me when my vision cleared in the form of the light spots that you see when after staring at a bright light, standing in front of me was the form of a man roughly around six feet tall very wide-shouldered. And of course, I started rubbing my eyes. I couldn't quite believe what I was seeing at the time. Didn't know what the hell I was seeing at the time. Blinking, rubbing my eyes, moving from side to side, thinking that it would go away. Not only did it not go away, but I noticed a couple other things while I was moving my head. I noticed the candle flames, which had only been maybe a quarter of an inch tall to begin with, were suddenly two to three inches in height. Whoa. The window shades, which had been just hanging dead because there was no breeze, were blowing at almost a 90-degree angle, as if there were gale-force winds. It was about that point in time that I realized what I was looking at, that I was looking at a spirit, an actual manifestation. And being curious, 
and stupid and naive, I reached my hand out and I touched it. The blast of cold that went through my body, I have never felt anything like that. Even being from Maine, growing up in freezing cold weathers and freezing cold winters, I have never felt the coldness that this energy had to it when it passed through me. Is that that had to be like a otherworldly type of cold. Every nerve ending in my body was just suddenly frigid. Instant goosebumps. The instant I touched the spirit, it disappeared. The flames returned to normal, the shades returned to normal, the strobe light returned to normal. Everything stopped, and I just sat there in absolute awe for God only knows how long. That's something like it make you wonder, like, wow, did I see what I just see, or am I that tired type of thing? It, it was exactly that. Within a few minutes, or at least what seemed to me to be a few minutes, I didn't have a clock at the time, so I wasn't paying attention to how much time had passed, somebody started pounding on the barracks room door. And I went over to the door, looked through the peephole, and it was a friend of mine. His name's Deke. For your listeners, again, I'll give a little bit of background on Deke. He was uh, self-proclaimed druid priest practicing he was in the navy but he was a self-proclaimed practicing druid priest thought it was odd that he'd show up right after a situation like that but i opened the door said hey deke what's up no sooner did i get that out of my mouth he grabbed me by the throat and forced me against the wall lockers put me uh, put what he called his spirit dagger which was uh, one of the fantasy daggers Mm -hmm. he put that to my throat started asking me what just happened here And at first, I couldn't put two and two together. I was just in shock of what was going on and having a knife to my throat for no reason. He kept asking, and eventually, I finally told him to get the knife away from me, and I would tell him. So he finally calmed down a little bit, and I related to him the story of what I have just told you. Deke immediately asked me if there was a Ouija board or any kind of seance that had been happening in our barracks room within the recent past and i said yeah we have a ouija board i opened up my foot locker and found that the ouija board was sitting there with the marker still on the board two weeks after the fact he immediately grabbed the ouija board told me to break it into quarters which i hated doing because it was money that i had spent myself but i did it and he took his spirit dagger and thrust it through the eye of the planchette closing the door he then began to perform a blessing on the room, as well as every piece of metal that I had on me, including my dog tags and my Marine Corps ring at the time. Once he had all of that done, he explained to me that by leaving the marker on the board for that long of a period of time, we opened a fairly large gateway and something very powerful came through. said he had been on the opposite end of the base when it came through. And he actually felt that then? Absolutely. And he tracked it all the way back to my room. That might have been bullshit, I don't know, but it's, again, the timing of his arrival was pretty odd. Kind of lent credence to the fact that, okay, maybe this guy really is telling the truth, and of the time that you spent around him, it's, it's not like he literally gave you any idea that he was, you know, hoaxing, or he wasn't really what he said he was. Correct. As soon as he got done with the blessing, he handed me my Marine Corps ring and dog tags back. Said, this room should be clean now. If anything further happens, come see me at my room. And he left. Time he left, my roommate showed up. So, of course, I had to explain to my roommate what happened. Once that got done, 
I was putting my dog tags and my Marine Corps ring back on, and as soon as that metal touched my skin, I began to feel an anxiety attack like I have never felt in my life. I became extremely anxious, very fidgety. I could not stand still. I could not sit still. I kept pulling at the ring. I kept tugging at the dog tags. My roommate asked me what was going on, and I said, I just, I've got to get out of here. I've got to, I've got to leave. I've got to get out of this room. Right before we left, I pulled the ring and the dog tags off and threw them down. We went for a walk. He suggested we go to Deke, and I said, no, 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 it's fine. I just, I just need to get some air. So we went out for a walk around the base. Everything was fine. I, I just seemed a lot more calm when, once we got outside, but I was still very anxious, very antsy, and it seemed like we wandered in no general direction whatsoever. Well, we ended up making a fairly large loop of the base, and when we came back around, we happened to be passing by the base chapel, the base church. We were on the opposite side of the street at the time. Now, this is roughly eight or nine o'clock at night, so it was dark, it was pitch black, and there was nobody out and about. The next few moments I remember, but I felt, and I still feel to this day, that I had no control over my actions. My roommate did me the favor of explaining a few extra details to me after the fact but he said I just kind of stopped dead in my tracks time we got even with the church turned towards the church started crossing the street saying you can't stop me I'll come in if I want to now the base chapel only had three steps going up to it three concrete steps with a small railing I made it up two of them when I went to take the third step my roommate was still across the street at the time I was literally shoved away from the church, back down onto the sidewalk. And I remember the feeling of not being able to breathe, not being able to catch my breath, not knowing what the heck is happening to me. My roommate came running over time he saw that and said, no, we, we got to go, man. We got we to gotta go see Deke. We got to go figure this out. Now, when you, when you got shoved off of the steps, before hitting that third step, when you got shoved off the steps, do you actually remember what that felt like? Was it like just massive shot of energy or something that just kind of like almost like a, I hate to say it, like a disembodied hand of some kind or a force that just kind of literally just pushed you away? It felt, it felt as if somebody took their, uh, took both hands and shoved with more might than you could imagine having against my chest. Wow. It was a surreal experience. It was one that has stuck with me ever since. And I remember once I was finally able to catch my breath, I agreed to go and see Deke. We started heading in that direction. But I remember hearing a voice in my head that just constantly, over and over and over again, just kept saying, go to the ocean, see the ship. Go to the ocean, see the ship. And I remember I spoke it out loud and I was kind of talking to myself, but my roommate was there. And I said, what the hell does that mean? My roommate said, I don't know, but the the docks are dead ahead of us. Let's just go over and see what's going on. So we made our way over to the docks, and we stood there for probably about 30 seconds, scanning across the darkness. The voice gone silent. I didn't see anything at first. Then across the bay, where there is land, I caught sight of not car headlights, but what looked like a lantern light or a torchlight. It flickered moving slowly across the landscape but above the tree line 
Now, was it just one, or was it more than one? It started off, I noticed the one, and then it began, a second one appeared shortly after, more towards the back, and I remember telling my roommate, that's the ship. And he said to me, but there's land over there. So he wasn't seeing what you were seeing then? He saw the light, too. He did see the light as well, but it it baffled him as to how that could have been a ship, because he knew that that was land. There were roads over there. There were trees and there were roads on the other side where those lights were. He recalled afterwards that I turned to him and I said, it wasn't always that way. There used to be water there. He stopped and he said to me, look, man, we got to go. We got to go see Deke now. He says, no more detours. We got to go. We immediately ran over to see Deke. Time I walked into the quad, which the quad, again, for your listeners, was kind of a common room which had four barracks rooms off of it. Time I entered the quad, Deke came out of his room. Again, put me up against the wall, and again, put his spirit dagger to my neck. Yeah, not once, but <laughs> twice. And it's like, come on, if I'm going to call you friend, you got to stop putting knives to my throat, man. I mean, really. <laughs> it, it, it was, again, this time was a little different. Because this time, he refused to remove the dagger from my throat. I could feel it biting my skin a little. That was the last that I recall of his conversations with me. The next thing I remember, I was seated in a chair in front of a window with my back facing the window in the quad. In the quad. Deke was performing something. He was, it, it, it was inaudible to me, but he was standing behind me, and I could feel his hands on my shoulders. My head was down. My eyes were closed. I knew my roommate was still in the room, and I remember there was another girl there. There was a girl there that, uh, her name was Dar, Darlene. She was good friends with Deke and myself, and I remember her going to the window, and I remember her peeking out through the the shades, said she saw movement. Now, my head was down, my eyes were still closed. When she peeked out of the shades, I remember her saying, oh my god, there's a fox outside. To this day... I could tell you the exact details of what that fox looked like. And you never even saw it. You never picked your head up. You just, that was kind of one of those mental image type of things. It was a complete mental image. But time she saw the fox, Deke yelled at her, stay put. She and my roommate immediately ran out the wind, uh, ran out the door and began chasing the fox away. Deke finished with me. I was able to come too. I was felt like I was in control again. He explained to me that he had to perform a bit of an exorcism and a blessing on me, as when I had touched the spirit, it had entered me. So you were possessed. That that was the thing, and that's probably why didn't like having your your marine ring on or your dog tags on or actually being in your barrack and or quad that you were in because it had been blessed. So whatever was inside of you was like literally like, I gotta get out of here. And that totally explains, you know, the whole church situation. Absolutely. You know, the biggest thing for me, I think, out of all of this, what exactly got into you? You know, what what spirit was it? If it was that powerful and it felt like it saw the chapel and it's like, you know what? I'm going to enter and there's nothing you can do about it. This would have had to have been a pretty strong spirit. I mean, do, do we dare say demonic? Or could it have been something else? It's hard to say. Military bases around the around the globe are known for hauntings. 
all things considered, you know what I mean? War, I mean, even accidents happen on military bases, and I mean, correct. You know, that's kind of a hot spot. I mean, if you think about it, because of so much that goes on there. But because of leaving the marker on the board for two weeks, we had opened a doorway. Just things that were more powerful, things that just don't weren't normally there, and it, it was very powerful. I have. I'd like to say that I have a pretty strong willpower, and it's because of my own na- stupidity and naivete, I allowed it to take control. Well, considering the fact that you literally remember about three quarters, 75% of this entire experience that happened to you, even with this thing inside of you, and, you know, hearing the voice, that's that's pretty strong to me. Anyway, that's a pretty strong Absolutely. willpower. Absolutely. There was some stuff that happened after the fact. Like, for instance, I'm not saying there's no foxes in Pensacola, Florida, but there aren't a whole lot, especially around a military base where there's so much hustle and bustle and all that stuff. So this is kind of an oddity, I guess you could say. Absolutely. And Deke uh, did explain the fox to some degree. He said basically when he was doing the exorcism and the blessing on me, the spirit was looking for something else to jump into so it could get out. And it managed to find the fox and called the fox to me. Dar later told me that when she looked out the window and saw the fox, it was sitting, staring directly at me through the window. Didn't blink, didn't move until she opened the door and they went to chase it. When they went to chase it, she said it ran down around the building. They chased it around the building. It went in behind an oil tank. They went to go and corner it. And it was gone. It had disappeared. Now, it probably had a hole back there somewhere underneath the tank or something like that. The unusual part for me is at this point in my life, I was 18 years old. I had never seen a fox outside of captivity. And that's growing up here in Maine, around the wilderness, being in the woods. I had never once seen a fox. After that day, I see them everywhere. And they are definitely around here. They are. Generally, you don't really see them that much. You know what I mean? Because they do a really good job of hiding themselves away from us. And I know this because, you know, you know where I live, live where I grew up. It was, you know, all an all-wooded area down in the mm-hmm. south end of town. So, you know, I mean, I remember seeing some of them, but that was only, you know, when neighbor's cats started missing, go missing. So To put this into perspective for you, there was one night uh, I was driving. I counted 10. Wow. You don't normally see that large a number together like that. They weren't all together. Oh, so this was like split up as you were driving along. This was along, several yeah. miles of roadway. I countered 10 wow. different foxes. That's just one ex- one example. When I see foxes, they I tend to see them quite often all over the place, sitting on the side of the road, looking at me, wandering through the fields, crossing the roads. I, I see them all over the place now. And it's not a hallucination because but- other people that are with me see them as well. I'm not afraid of foxes. I'm not afraid of the spirit that inhabited me for the time. To this day, I still couldn't tell you what its name was, even though Deke did say that he got it to say its name. I've only had to contact Dar once, and when I asked her the name, she said it. And again, I to this day, I couldn't tell you what that name is, because hmm. I don't recall it. That's was, crazy. It's kind of like a spirit block type of thing, almost. Yeah. So after you, because uh, there's one more part to this story, I remember. After you and your roommate left Deke's quad, 
you went down around by the ocean side again. Mm-hmm. We went back down. I remember looking around, and I just... We didn't see the ship again, but I remember looking off into the distance towards the lights of the town, and I remember seeing what looked to me like a rip in the sky. It was orange. It looked like sunset, yet this is well after dark. It was bright. My roommate saw it as well, and we saw that it was visibly closing, but it was big. It was big. It stretched. This could have been like the door that was opened, kind of like almost like a visual representation type of thing. It's showing in my interpretation of it, yes. You know, and where and where, you know, you just had this experience, you're still kind of what's the best way to go? Reeling. Yes, reeling. (laughs) You were still very open to the fact, you know what I mean? Maybe you were able to see certain things that you probably wouldn't have been able to see had you not actually had this experience. But again, my roommate saw it as well. Well, okay. It was. I don't talk about that experience very often. It's not something you exactly go broadcasting that you were possessed. I can tell you just by sitting here looking at you telling the story. I can tell that you're kind of a little visibly uncomfortable. Like something somebody always told me. You know when somebody's bullshitting you. And Absolutely. you know when somebody's telling you the truth. Absolutely. So, And I'm not just saying this because I've known this guy for pretty much all of my life. <laughs> It's there's there's a lot of truth here, and I can definitely tell that visually, and I I know it comes across in your voice. As weird as it is, this experience kind of opened up a few more things for you. It opened as far up as a that lot. goes, because I mean now you know, you go from Pensacola, Florida, you go to Georgia, and Paris Island. Yes. Yeah. So we all know the deal about Georgia. As far as that goes, that kind of also leads into you meeting your ex-wife because she wasn't exactly a normal either. No, you know? she was not. She was uh, a self-proclaimed practicing witch, uh, Wiccan, if you would. And I just happen to know there just might be a witch listening to this at some point. Hi, sis. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> uh, yeah, she was a unique one. She was actually the one that introduced me first to the power of mirrors. And how mirrors can actually show you alternate realities. Uh, it's hard to explain. The reflection in a mirror can show you things that you can't normally see. Yeah, it's, it actually can also act as a gateway. Um, there are a lot of Japanese myths and rituals that include mirrors. Mm-hmm. And it's not always a good thing. Correct. You got one more story in you? I think we can. Uh, we could probably do that. All right, so... You've got a few experiences that happened since you were in Savannah. There was the Voodoo Cemetery, and mm-hmm. there was um, the experiences you had out on Tybee Island, Colebrook Plantation. I think what we'll do is we could save those for another one, because you've got a lot of stuff, and uh, you know what I mean? I know after hearing this, the Chaos Army's going to want to hear it, and I know I want to talk <laughs> about it some more. Let's go into, uh, though, and this was something that... You know, I remember we talked about for a while, and when I had first met Vault and Lakea, I had asked Lakea about the Travelers. I had asked her about them because she's, you know, she is a witch, mm-hmm. and she knows a lot about a lot of things. And this one kind of stumped her a little bit. She's like, well, it could have been this, and it could have been that. And I'd had a phone conversation or a couple with her and Vault over this type of thing, and I, I think it kind of stumped the both of them, kind of like it's us. So I think of what we could, since we were talking about your ex, and you know how she seemed to be very knowledgeable about something like this, and knew exactly what was going on, I figured we could go into that story. 
Well, the story of the travelers. That one's complicated. <laughs> well, that's what we uh, do here. <laughs> there was a an old, overgrown military installation out on Tybee Island that I had visited many times. Uh, it's very, very active, very haunted. There are some aspects of it that are not really pleasant. Uh, you get definitely get a very f- big foreboding feeling there. Now, I wanted to introduce my ex-wife to it and my ex-brother-in-law to it. So we got together and jumped in the car, and we decided to drive out there one night. This was fairly late at night. We were actually approaching midnight when we got out there. When we got out there, you had to drive down a little bit of a dirt road. Nothing, nothing. It was fairly well traveled, but then you had to take a left-hand turn onto the path that led to the fort. It was when we turned onto that left that we had to stop the car because there was something in the middle of the road on fire. This was odd. It was midnight. We're looking at something round and black sitting in the middle of this trail burning. Of course, it got my curiosity up. It got my brother-in-law's curiosity up. So we got out of the car to go and check it out. My ex-wife at the time kept telling us, you need to stay in the car. We need to go. We need to go. Being who I am, being what I do, I had to check it out. So I got out of the car and we walked over to it and it was a coil of some black material. It looked like wax. It was spiraled into itself and the fire was burning down to the center. So it was almost kind of like to give a visual representation and the way that you would explain it to me and kind of how I took it was, I don't know if they make them anymore, but you remember when Off used to make these uh, citronella spirals? Thank you. That's kind of how I always pictured, had explained this to me in the past. That's exactly what it looked like, only it was completely black. And the fire, if I remember right, it was burning in and it was about halfway to three quarters of the way all the way to the center. I remember looking around when I, after we saw it, and we were wondering what the hell it was. I remember looking around at the overgrown forests around us, and again, for your listeners, to give you the uh, idea, the forests around this trail were so thick, a squirrel would be hard-pressed to get through it without making a ton of noise. This is just like really thick, dense woodland. Absolutely. Swampland. Oh, even even more so, yeah. Yes. And uh, you're talking the heart of Georgia and South Carolina. Uh, this is very dense overgrowth. Uh, it was a lot of vines, a lot of branches, a lot of bushes. Nothing was coming through those forests without making a ton of noise. Now, looking around, there was nothing around us. Couldn't hear any birds chirping. Couldn't hear any insects, which is quite common down in Georgia is to go outside in the middle of the night and you hear the bugs everywhere. You hear the cicadas, you hear the chirping of the crickets, and it can be peaceful, but there was none of that. It was completely silent. Yeah, and normally, like in, in a lot of like cryptid cases or um, even just like hunters, when a mass, when a large predator comes into the area or something that's totally terrifying to the local wildlife, everything just completely zips right up and doesn't Exactly. I remember looking back at the car, and my ex-wife, who was kind of leaning out, telling my brother-in-law and I that we needed to get back in the car and we needed to go immediately. 
and her paranoia kind of fed into the situation. And I realized she might be right. Uh, I heard something odd's going on here. Well, something odd was definitely going on there. I just had no way to fathom exactly what it was at the time. I began to be a bit more paranoid and anxious. My brother-in-law kept saying he didn't like it and he wanted to go. So we ran back to the car, jumped in, backing out of the trail and and getting ready to turn back on towards the main road. When I did, I looked back at the burning spiral, I guess, for lack of better terminology. Just as I pulled away from the trail, I saw at least three, if not four people, suddenly kind of materialize out of the the trees around it. There are four people standing there, Mm -hmm. and they're just kind of staring at you. And they weren't there before. Right, and considering how dense... The woodland is around there. You would have noticed or heard them either coming through the trees or maybe coming down the road because it was a dirt road. Absolutely. They weren't there before. They definitely came out of the trees and out of the tree line. They were all dressed in black. They were all focused on the car. Well, time I saw that, it was put the foot down on the accelerator and get the hell out of Dodge. Yeah. Which we did very quickly. (laughs) Yeah, that's not something that you want to stick around for. (laughs) No. Um, it wasn't until later that evening, once we had gotten back to the house and kind of things had calmed down a little bit, that I began to press my ex-wife for information. I had gotten the feeling that she knew more than she was telling me. And that's when she began to tell me that the ritual that we had stum- stumbled into was a summoning ritual, but not one that summoned spirits or demons. This was calling somebody to come and join a coven. She believed that they were calling me. Now, did she know about the Ouija board experience that we just talked about? We had talked uh, We had talked several times about that, yes. Okay, so then that kind of that kind of lends to the fact that you had this experience and survived rather well out of it actually. Mm-hmm. And I, I guess I could understand why they would want you, considering your paranormal background and that mm-hmm. you just have this sensitivity to things like this. I mean, I've seen it myself. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? You've got more of a sensitivity than I do. It was a surreal time in my life and a very unique situation. She told me that this they had a local coven in the area that called themselves the Travelers that had found some way to be able to blend or camouflage themselves or materialize in different places she believed that they were calling she hoped which was her words that they were calling for a new member that they wanted to bring a new member or initiate into their fold she wasn't completely sure of that because they could have had nefarious means as well they could have been looking for a sacrifice to feed whatever was giving them the energy to materialize and travel i didn't think much of it after that till probably about two weeks, two or three weeks after. I was on my way back to base, middle of the day, driving down the highway. I happened to get the feeling that I was being watched. Odd time to be being watched. I Odd time to hit that feeling that something paranormal was nearby or something unusual was happening. I remember looking off to the right-hand side of the road and next to a large weeping willow was one of the people that I saw materialize, dressed all in black, black hair, just standing there, 
watching me drive by. So he wasn't wearing a hood or anything like that. You could see his face plain as day. Mm-hmm. You knew this was one of the four figures, even though it was dark. And Correct. you really couldn't see features or faces or other than the fact that they were just four figures dressed in black. That's the silhouette that you're getting because this being around the midnight hour. Correct. So that's, I, that's pretty heavy. Again, to give a little bit of background, I, my night vision is a bit better than most. Um, I've been told I have 2015 vision, which means I can see perfectly for miles. I operate best at night. So I, I've grown up in the night. My eyes adjust very easily to the dark. So I can make out details that most other people can't. I recognized the person. My eyes locked with theirs. I drove past. I looked up in the rearview mirror, and they were gone. Just seemingly vanished out of nowhere. Correct. Well, you know, that kind of makes sense if... if Because we have talked about this before, and how you thought literally that they had materialized out of the trees itself. Correct. You know what I mean? So it wouldn't be that big of a possibility So you know, to be able to jump from one place or another. And I know this sounds crazy. I know it does. There are things in this world that we can't even comprehend that we don't understand. Correct. You know, even with my sources, they were kind of at a loss, be like, I don't I don't know what that is. And they'd come up with a few things, oh, maybe it could be this and it maybe it could be that because it kind of sounds like that. Mm-hmm. You know, so maybe the name The Travelers was just part of a local group, but it sounds to me like it might be a much bigger thing than that. Well, again, it was... It, it, as best as I can explain it, it was a local coven that had somehow gotten the ability to be able to travel and materialize from place to place. From that point on, until I got out of the Marine Corps, every now and then, I'd catch sight of them. Even up here? Yes. Wow. They are far-reaching. They are, and uh, they followed me around for a while. I guess they kind of lost interest after a while because I haven't seen them in a long time. That's a good thing. (laughs) What they were truly interested in, I'm not sure. All right, brother. Thank you so much. You're going to be on a lot. You help think this thing up. You're going to be on a lot as often as I can have you. Everybody, this is Wild Tempest, very good friend of mine, and he's going to be back on again because he's got more stories. Thank you so much. I totally appreciate it. Thank you, brother. Thank you for being here. Right on. It's my pleasure. And it definitely was my pleasure, too. And we will be back in just a moment. The vibrations abruptly faded and I, I was left petrified. Aiden, shoot it! Jerry's yell broke my gaze with the beast as I fumbled to direct my rifle toward the creature's direction. Go back, demon, to the pit that awaits. I cast you out, feeling nomine petris et spiritus sancti. I'm the doctor. Around a small stone he had found on the floor next to him. And with all of his might, launched the pebble right at the creature's muzzle. Amazingly, in this moment, the wolf's jaws parted as it prepared for the kill. The small rock flew between the two rows of razor-sharp teeth and continued onwards into the gullet of the powerful animal. The growl stopped immediately. Its red eyes These things could move. Jamie brought the crosshairs on the left wolf and fired. 
The bullet took the animal in the right front leg, downing it immediately. He could hear it yelp in pain. Jamie switched to the second wolf. It had reached the foot of the hill and was beginning its ascent toward him. Their speed was surprising. He took aim, allowing slightly more lead time and fired. Bullseye. Chaos. Theory. Productions. your daily fix of cryptid, Bigfoot, Dogman, Ghosts, the Paranormal and the Supernatural, and get over to the Vault of Nightmares. Don't worry about locking that door on your way out. I took it off the hinges to make room. So don't worry. Until next time, sweet nightmares. <laughs> Can't get enough of that hairy hominid that we know as Bigfoot? You want to know more? You want to hear true accounts? Then get over to Brian Sullivan's YouTube page and go check out his website as they're building worldofbigfoot.com. Don't forget to stoke that campfire as you never know what's watching you in the woods. Hey everybody, welcome back to the show. I really enjoyed that discussion. I hope you did too. Groovy. What is it about a little wooden board with numbers and letters and a goodbye and a hello and a moon and a sun that captivates us so much? Is it just a mere game? As we see it today, you can go to your local Walmart or any store and buy one for like $17 to $20. Can it really contact the dead? Can it really contact spirits from another plane or another place? Do we really know what we're talking to when we're talking to these entities? I can tell you from my personal experience, you're talking to something. I don't exactly know what. May it be a spirit or a little green man in a spaceship up in the sky. I don't know. Could it be a demon or an angel? That's a question that I can't answer. But I guess it all depends on what you believe. What's your experiences? I would love to hear them if you would put them down in the comments or you could send me an email too. But like I asked, what is it about this that mystifies us? Now, I'm very sure there'll be many people out there that will say, well, chaos, that's BS. I don't believe in that type of thing because every time I've tried one, nothing has ever happened. It's always been my buddy pushing the pointer around. And yes, that's true. There are a lot of people who do that, and that, and that's fine. Bullshit. But then again, there are many that have had these crazy experiences, myself included, and also like the ones that you just heard, where it's more than just a game. I think it all depends on you and your level and manner of perception. What do you believe? What don't you believe? 
I do happen to know that the Catholic Church, the Christian Church, and just about pretty much any church out there will tell you these are bad, bad news, stay away from them. I think when it comes down to it, it's the scare that we live for. Now folks, I'll be the first one to tell you, please don't play with this. But I know you're not going to listen to me. I know if you want to do this, you're going to do this if you're going to experiment. Then please, please, try to be as safe as you possibly can. Make sure you have all the stuff you need around you. There have been real testimonies of things, entities, attaching themselves to people. And I'm very sure that you don't want to bring something like that home. Whether you're a kid yourself, whether you have people living with you, or you have children of your own. You, you don't want to have something like that happen. So I'm going to tell you, stay away from them. They're scary and they're mean, and I've learned my lesson, and I don't play with them. But you're bunch of big boys and big girls are going to do what you want to do. If you're going to do it, try to be as safe as you possibly can. I want to give a massive thank you to Wild Tempest for coming on to the show, telling his experiences and what he's had to deal with. I could tell you right now, sitting across from him, he was clearly uncomfortable on that second story. And like I said, I really appreciate him doing that for us and entertaining us with his stories. And yes, he will be back again. He's got a lot more stuff going on. He's got a lot more stories, and I can't wait to share those with you guys. They're always best when they're in your own words, I guess you could say. For myself, for the dragon up in the top reaches of the dragon's lair, for Wild Tempest, and for Russell on the bullshit meter. Bullshit! I thank you. I hope to see you again. I want to know what you think. Talk to me in the comments and I'll talk right back to you in the next episode. And thank you so much. Thank you so much for joining me on the very first Chaos Effect. My brothers, my sisters, my blood, please be careful and be safe because you never know what's lurking around the corner. <laughs>